Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, August 28th, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. Two years ago, Carrie Underwood came out with a single called Something in the Water. It was released on her greatest hits, decade number one album. It was a baptism song. How many baptism songs do you hear on the radio? Not much. It debuted number one on Billboard's both country and Christian song charts. It broke multiple uh, airplay records on the country stations that first week. It was number one on the country charts for two months and over six months on the Christian charts. And in 2015, Underwood won a Grammy for that song in the Best Country Solo Performance category. I wanted to share some of the lyrics from the song in case you're unfamiliar. He said, I've been where you've been before, down every hallway is a slamming door. No way out, no one to come and save me, wasting a life that the good Lord gave me. Then somebody said what I'm saying to you, opened my eyes and told me the truth. They said, just a little faith It'll all get better. So I followed that preacher man down to the river, and now I'm changed. Now I'm stronger. There must have been something in the water. Oh, there must have been something in the water. It's a wonderful song. It's an example of a life that has been changed, not by the act of baptism per se, but in the life-changing power of the risen Christ that comes with it. In her second verse, uh, Underwood thinks about uh, what she's seen and experienced, and then with her own confession and an invitation for God to come into her life, we get then to verse 3. And now I'm singing along to amazing grace, can't nobody wipe the smile off my face. Got joy in my heart, angels on my side, thank God Almighty, I saw the light. Gonna look ahead, no turning back, live every day, give it all that I have. Trust in someone bigger than me ever since the day that I believed I am changed, and now I'm stronger. There must be something in the water. Well, welcome to the fourth and final week of this sermon series entitled Water Words. I know many of us didn't grow up in the United Methodist denomination. I didn't. But in the United Methodist Church, it doesn't matter. We accept all baptisms. No matter what church you were baptized in, no matter what age you were baptized or by what means you were baptized, sprinkling, pouring, or dunking. We accept it all. During the series, we've been closely examining the sacrament of holy baptism liturgy in the United Methodist Church. We renounced the spiritual forces of wickedness, rejected the evil powers of this world, repented of our sin. In the second week, we talked about accepting the freedom and power that God gives us to do that, to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Last week with Pastor Angela, we confessed Jesus Christ as Savior, trusted in His grace, and promised to serve Him as our Lord in an inclusive church. And today we get to finish by being faithful members of the church and serving as Christ's representatives to the world. Whether we've been baptized as a youth or adult or or as a child and then uh, confirmed that promise that our parents made on our behalf, uh, committing our lives to God, we have become new creations through baptism. But then what? Is it simply a powerful experience that we have inside the confines of a a church or worship service, or is there more? We've already looked at how baptism impacts our actions outside the church, but today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this area. 
And so if you have your Bibles or you want to open your, uh, the Bible app on your phone, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, chapter 28, the very last chapter in Matthew's Gospel, as we go back and revisit the Scripture for this morning. Matthew 28, <clears throat> picking up at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now according to Matthew's gospel, Jesus had been crucified and buried. On Easter morning, God raised him from the dead, and Jesus appeared to three women at the empty tomb that first Easter. And the message that he had for them was, one, that he was alive, but second, Go back and tell my disciples, tell the followers that I'm going ahead of you to Galilee, and there I will meet you there. So the disciples haven't yet seen the risen Christ in Matthew's gospel, and now they're going to that rendezvous point, that mountaintop in Galilee, seeing Jesus for the first time. We don't know how much time has passed. Um, Other gospel writers say it may have been as as long as 40 days. Uh, Matthew doesn't give us a timeline. But here they are together again. Minus Judas. That's why there's just 11. Now, what are we to make of this last part of this passage in verse 17? When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. As we were reading the scripture this morning, I pulled out my Bible app and I had the message translation. Listen to what the message says for this verse. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves Totally. I love that. I guess for starters, you can say that maybe seeing isn't always believing. That there they were, the disciples that had spent their life, the the last three years of their life with Jesus, and even them had some doubts, unsure if they were able to give themselves totally to the mission. Whatever it was that they experienced with Jesus on that mountain, it didn't generate perfect faith, even for those who were there the first In that very first uh, Easter, maybe God isn't looking for perfect faith from us. It's hard to be perfect, isn't it? We all have moments of doubts and uncertainties and questions. But what I love about this story is that uh, Jesus is big enough to handle that. He didn't send away those that doubted or questioned or couldn't commit. He included them as well. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Biblical scholar M. Eugene Boring writes this, Acts chapters 1 to 15 narrates the gradual process in which the community of Jesus' disciples after Easter came to realize, under the guidance of the Spirit, That it's the will of their risen Lord that the church be a universal, inclusive community of all nations. When we read the book of Acts, we see how the the church grows to understand that God is calling them to go outside the, the boundaries of what they thought to be was God's love and grace. God's always pushing those boundaries. And the book of Acts is an amazing story. And the first half of it shows this gradual progression But Professor Boring says here, in Matthew, that whole process is condensed down to just a few verses. Let's look at this piece by piece. For starters, Jesus reminds the disciples and us that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus by God. All authority. 
Meaning that when it comes to deciding if you're going to go all in or not, there is no greater entity that the disciples could pledge their lives to than Jesus. Or may we as well, for that matter. All authority belongs to Jesus. And with that authority, he invites his disciples to be a part of his mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to make this little club and uh, we're only going to keep the desirables inside. No, it's, it's not a, a you know, special that you, if you're in, then you get the, the perks that come with it. He didn't say, oh, say this prayer, and then you're set for all eternity. No, he said, go and make disciples. The active verb in this sentence, I don't think is the go part, meaning that we all have to be missionaries and go outside of our country to tell people about Jesus. Some people are called to do that. But for many of us, the active part should be the make disciples. Uh, To make disciples is to put God at the center of our lives and then to help others do the same. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus and confess him as Lord. We have to live that out in our daily lives to the best that we can. In fact, this is the very mission of our denomination. The mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of our world. We believe that our lives and the lives of all believers can make this world a better place. We can change the place in which we live. How do we do that? When John Wesley, who started Methodism, uh, was going around in the 18th century in England, he kind of broke the barriers, broke the mold. He went outside of the local churches and he started preaching wherever people would gather. And thousands upon thousands came to hear him, and many of them gave their heart to Christ, and this new revival kept sweeping through the United Kingdom. But he wasn't content to just going to a new place and getting people all excited and having them say the prayer and then move on to the next one. He knew that you needed to be disciples. It's not enough to make the commitment. You have to follow through. So he would set up the people that had come to know the Lord in, in, in groups called societies. And then out of the societies that would be in like a local town, he put them into smaller groups called class meetings so they could encourage one another in the faith and help them grow to understand what it means to truly live out being a Christian. Here at Palmdale United Methodist Church, we have our own discipleship plan. This is a method by which we uh, believe we can live out that call to be disciples. It starts with worship in the top left quadrant. Regular, consistent worship. We, we seek to create a worshiping community where anyone can invite another one to church and not feel embarrassed or worried about what they might experience when they get there. We call this come and see worship from the Gospel of John where the, the disciples would say, hey, we may have found the Messiah. Come and see. Come and see it for yourself. You don't have to make any promises or set up expectations. Just invite people to come and see for themselves. And we hope that the hospitality and the inclusivity that we have here, that all would feel welcome. We also know that spiritual growth is vital to our lives as disciples. And, and while a portion of that can happen on Sunday morning, most of how we grow happens outside of our worship services. Right now, there's over a dozen, as Karen said, uh, small group and Bible study opportunities that are going to be starting up in just a few weeks. When you leave the sanctuary today, over in the left in the courtyard, there'll be a couple tables with all kinds of activity uh, sheets and, and, and descriptions of how you can get involved in a spiritual growth opportunity over the next semester. And then we're called to invest our time in developing relationships here within our faith community. 
Christianity was never meant to be an isolated affair. It's not just me and Jesus. We are created by God to be in relationship with one another. And we're not, we're at our best when we have deep friendships within the church. And there's various fellowship groups, women and men's ministries, as well as seasonal activities that give us a chance to come and to get to know each other deeper than just how we may know each other on Sunday mornings. And then finally, we believe that Christianity calls us, our discipleship calls us to give ourselves away in service to the world as Jesus modeled for his disciples. This can be done through the church. We have opportunities for feeding programs, our anti-human trafficking advocacy, our children's and youth ministries as well. Or it can be done in the larger community. So many of you are already involved in wonderful organizations that are making a difference here in the Antelope Valley and beyond. Groups like Compassion International, Habitat for Humanity, Rotary, and many others. Those are all wonderful things. Keep it up. Because Jesus calls us to give ourselves away for others. So that's our discipleship plan. Kind of like when you, when you go to college, they have sort of a, your counselor will help you say, here's what you need to do over the course of the next four years so you can graduate. This is what we think helps us li- the best chance of living out our discipleship. Now, not everyone can be active in each four quadrants at every given moment of their lives. We all have different seasons when our priorities and our time commitments change. What you're able to do when you have young children is very different from what you're able to do when, like my wife and I now, are. this is our second year of being empty nesters. Our kids are off to college or graduated. We have a lot more time than we had when they were younger. Or even when you're retired. There's different seasons. But discipleship should be active and dynamic. It starts here on Sunday morning, but it shouldn't finish here. So I invite you to prayerfully consider how God is calling you to go a little bit deeper in the next few months in your discipleship. That's what Jesus meant when he said that we were called to make disciples of all nations. It starts first with us. Make sure that we are growing as disciples, that we're actively engaged and maturing in our love for Christ. And then I love how it's a, Jesus says of all nations. I think all means all. Not just nations, but for all people. We are a church that is open and welcoming to all. We are created to be in relationship with God. And we all have that hunger for spiritual things, even if people aren't able to verbalize that, they're not sure what that means. We were created to have that desire to grow close to God. That's the come and see invitation. Invite people to come and see and experience how God might touch their lives. And then if we're living out our discipleship, others will want to know more. Jesus called them to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why we've been doing this series for the past month. M. Eugene Boring reminds us that through baptism, we move from being outside the Christian community to discipleship within the community. By the way, it's interesting to know, at this point in Matthew's gospel, the only person that had been baptizing was John the Baptist. And now Jesus says, hey, that's a pretty good thing. Why don't we all do this? Let's all go out and remind people of God's love and connection in their lives when they give their hearts to him. And the church over the centuries has incorporated this act as one of the ways, the powerful ways that people can experience and know that God's love and grace is within them. Jesus finishes these farewell instructions by reminding his disciples that there's a lot of teaching that's going to go on. He doesn't say preaching. It's not just up to the pastors. Teaching. Teaching can be done by all of us, by our words or our actions. As we share and show lives of what it means to follow Jesus, others will see that and hear that and come to know as well. And so we're, if we're going to follow what Jesus taught, we have to be grounded in Scripture, 
and then living that out. Which brings us to our fourth and final water words and our baptismal vows. If you want to grab the the dark blue hymnal that's in front of you, we're going to turn to page 34 in the very front of it. We've gone through three different questions that we ask uh, candidates or their parents uh, if they're if they're children uh, to confess, and finally we get to the fourth one. This is at the bottom of page thirty-four, number six in red. We ask this: According to the grace given you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives to the world? One of the aspects of baptism, you may remember, is that we are incorporated into the larger community of faith. When you're baptized, you become a Christian. You become part of the community of God, the church universal. And so we become part of the body of Christ, and we're reminding people when they're baptized, are you ready to live like that? You're going to be a representative of Jesus. Be faithful in your discipleship and reflect to all what it means. Again, we don't have to be perfect. But will others be able to see glimpses of Jesus in our lives? We go back to Matthew 28. Are we helping to make disciples in our own lives and in our families and those around us? Are we working to encourage and strengthen and build up the faith and and discipleship of others? Two weeks ago, we were reminded we don't have to do it on our own power. God gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us become what we can't be on our own. And that over time, we grow to become more and more like Jesus. It may take a lifetime, but that's the journey that we're on. Sometimes, though, the ups and downs of life get in our way. We forget that. We lose our way. We forget who or whose we are, and we need to be reminded. In 1994, Walt Disney created a brand new story, The Lion King, burst onto the screen in a powerful way, broke all kinds of box office records and received numerous accolades carried the voices of James Earl Jones, Jeremy Irons, Matthew Broderick, Nathan Lane. It's the story of Simba, a young lion prince who's cast out of the kingdom by his cruel uncle Scar, who convinces the boy that it was his actions that led to his father, Mufasa, being killed. And while Scar rules the pride with an iron paw, Simba grows up outside the savannah, living a life of hakuna matata, no worries. But when his past comes back to haunt him, Simba must choose between doing whatever he feels like doing or returning to face his demons and his destiny. In the scene we're about to watch, Simba is joined by the baboon priest Rafiki, who has told him, I'm going to take you to see your father. Now remember, his father died years ago, so he's very intrigued about what he might see. Let's watch. Due to copyright restrictions, uh, we cannot include this scene in our podcast, but invite you to find it on YouTube. Remember who you are. From time to time, we all need to be reminded of that, myself included, of who and whose we are. The vows that we made at our baptisms or the vows that our parents made on our behalf, sometimes, well, they get watered down and forgotten. And yet, we have been claimed by Jesus, friends. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And today, we have a chance to remember who we are. For some of us, we need to be reminded that we are more than what we have become. So we're going to do, following the service, uh, an opportunity to remember and renew our baptismal vows. As I was mentioning with the children this morning, you see the four stations that we have right here, four containers of water. You're invited to come down and dip your fingers or hand or hands inside the waters to remember your baptism. 
Choose an action that's meaningful for you. You can put one finger in or your whole hands. You can let the water drip between them. You can uh, put your finger in and make the sign of the cross on your forehead. Or for those of you that come from uh, Roman Catholic tradition, you can dip your hands in and make the sign of the cross. Whatever. You can even take the, and flick, your, flick the water on your face to wake you up and remember your baptism. Whatever is meaningful to you, we invite you to do that and be reminded that God's love is with you, that God has called and claimed you, that you are more than who you think you are. In the United Methodist Church, we do not rebaptize people. God's love and grace came to us whenever we were baptized. It never expires or fades away. We may not have understood it when we were baptized. Things may have completely changed in our life and we're different people than we were before. That's okay. God's love remains constant. So we have opportunities to renew our baptismal vows, to remember what was made and claimed on our lives earlier. So that's what we're going to do today. God has always remained faithful to his part of the covenant. We have opportunities to renew that along the way. One of my colleagues in ministry uh, is Pastor Sam Domingo. He told me about a time that John Westerhoff uh, was a noted theologian and professor at Duke Divinity School, came to the School of Theology at Claremont here in uh, Claremont, California. And Sam was a student there at the time. And he'll never forget the story that Professor Westerhoff said. These are his words. I'll tell you about a baptism I witnessed in Latin America that's very different from the way we do baptisms here in America. When I entered this little church, all the people were on their knees crying, tears running down their faces, singing a funeral song. And I figured, oh, wow, I didn't know it was a funeral. So I went and I kneeled down, but I couldn't cry because I didn't know who I was crying for. So, but I sang the hymns. And then down the aisle for this procession, there came a father with a child's wooden coffin. He had made it himself. A mother with a pail of water from the family well and a priest carrying a dirty old serape wrapped around a nude little baby. Down the aisle they came, everyone crying and singing this funeral song. The father put the coffin on the altar. The mother poured the water inside the wooden box. The priest covered the baby's skin with oils of embalming. And then he took the baby, placed him in the coffin, held the baby's nose, shoved the baby under the water, saying in Spanish, I kill you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The priest then lifted the baby, and the baby cried as if coming out of his mother's womb. And he said, I resurrect you that you might love and serve the Lord. Then the whole congregation leapt to its feet and broke out singing an Easter hymn. When the music quieted down, the priest covered the baby's skin with oils of birth, put on a beautiful white garment that someone in the congregation had made, and then signed the baby with the cross with these words in Spanish, I brand you with the sign of Christ-like cattle so that you will never be able to deny it, and the world will also know to whom you belong. Then everyone came up, hugged the baby, gave the baby the kiss of peace, and said, Welcome, Juan Carlos Cristiano. Westerhoff continued, Every once in a while I get a chance to do a baptismal instruction, and I always tell the parents, Look, you know that you're going to have to convince me that you want to do this, because I can't think of very many good reasons why any parent would want to do what you are asking me to do. Do you know that you're going to take that nice little baby that just came into your home and give it up for adoption? Do you know that you're going to ask me to kill your child? You know you're going to ask me to change your child's name, take away the name you gave him, and give him a new family name of Christian. 
Do you know that you're going to promise to bring up your child so that if your family and your Christian name ever come into contact, he is to leave you and side with the church? And you're going to have to ask me to brand your child like cattle against his will and without his permission so that he will never be able to deny it and will always know to whom he belongs. Now tell me, why would you want to do that? There's actually only one reason, he said. It's called faith. And faith is the justification to be baptized. Friends, as our children come in and we see them and we're reminded of the gift that we've been given, I want to conclude with these words from Water and the Spirit, which are the, our denominational teaching on baptism. It says this, The sacrament of baptism is at the heart of the gospel of grace. And the core of the church's mission, when we baptize, we say that we, what we understand as Christians about ourselves and our community is that we are loved into being by God. We are lost because of sin, but saved and redeemed in Christ Jesus to live new lives in anticipation of his coming again in glory. Baptism is expression of God's love for the world, and the effects of baptism also experience God's grace. As baptized people of God, we therefore respond in praise and thanksgiving, praying that God's will be done in our lives. Thanks be to God for this amazing promise, covenant, and gift. May each of us, in the moments that follow, renew our baptismal vows in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.